0: The moment you go out and you speak to regular people that have to do presentations all the time, and you show them the impact that these kinds of things can have, the idea of a story that focuses on the audience, using visuals instead of death by powerpoint and bullet points and stuff, this and you go, oh, wow, this is so much better. And you won't need even one or two of those kinds of interactions. It happens pretty quickly for you to realize that this is something that can work really nicely. I mean, it's not curing cancer or anything, but it is helping people to, to do that a little bit better.
1: Oh, my gosh. Welcome back to Presentation Thinking, an incredibly special edition.
2: Dear listeners, we have a treat for
1: you. Yeah. First, all, let's let let's back up. Molly, who are you?
2: Yeah. I'm, hello, everyone. <laughs> I am the content community manager for Presentation Thinking, the podcast and community that's thinking about presentations, talking about them, making them better, et cetera, et cetera. And we, like most podcasts, have some social media accounts, you know, market ourselves, do the thing. And a couple weeks ago, someone mentioned us on the Twitter, on the Twitter, and we were so excited about it. Richard Goring of Bright Carbon, an incredible presentation design agency, think place, thought leader in the presentation design world, complimented one of our podcasts. And we were so yeah. excited. Or We did not pay him to do this.
1: And Molly, it was like a random episode. It wasn't like the first or the last episode. He was like, he had read... Or just listen to part two of, of the Made to Stick book mm-hmm. recap. So we were like, huh, you know, maybe he actually listens. And then we talked to him. He's like, yeah, I actually listen. And it turns out this dude just devours everything presentation related. He he will rattle off no as you'll hear ten, twenty 20 different presentation podcasts I've never heard of. And now like he <laughs> gave us a reason. list of books and tips and speakers and so many just value bombs in this episode that, Richard shares with us as we as we joked toward the end, like he has deepened our rabbit hole. As we dive down and try to learn everything about better presenting, better storytelling, he is the ultimate presentation thinker. And it was just a blast having him on, on the show uh at Ghost Ranch Communications. We're huge fans of of Richard's webinars and presentations that he gives. They will open your mind to things that you didn't know you could do in PowerPoint. And that's why our team, honestly, when we went there pretty novice in our careers, we were like, he just really opened us up to some new ways of thinking um, tactically as well within the program because he didn't even mention this, but he's a Microsoft MVP, which means you know he's in that upper echelon of people that Microsoft approves to say, hey, we want you to go be out there as our ambassador, training people, teaching people about everything you can do in this program. And yet he's so humble. As you'll read if you check out his, his profile on the Bright Carbon website, three words that describe me, Lazy. he's so funny oh i didn't even bring
2: that up on his conversation Ah, that's funny well yeah this guy is not lazy he fills his time with presentation thinking and and just getting better at his craft and you can tell he's excited about it and it's so fun to he both hear this the work that he's put out with bright carbon and his experience with that as well as his own perception of like what presentation thinking means and where this is going and it's either, if you're anywhere in the presentation design space as a designer, presenter, sales marketer, you're going to be inspired by Richard. So without further ado, in, here we go, Richard Goring.
1: First of all, just thank you so much for joining us. We are really excited to, to talk and nerd out with you today. It's a delight to be here. Thank you so much indeed. Big fan. And Molly, I didn't I didn't tell you about this, but I, this is un unprompted, unscripted. But I was looking back, Richard, because we talked about how we did run into each other in San Diego. I think it mm-hmm. was 2018 presentation summit. And I was looking back and Rick Altman had posted like a sizzler for your talk. Do you remember it was you gave a talk on powerful openings. Do you remember yeah. that by chance? Yeah. And I was re-watching it and I think all of us at, at Ghost Ranch who attended uh, were like, oh my gosh, that was The best, you know, talk about presentations, you know, so meta at the time. We're just like, oh, I've never seen anything like that. And uh, even in the Sizzler, and I think this is in some of your other webinars that you give, but you talked about how most presentations start with like, we, 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 we. I love that slide that you had. And then at the very end, you. And yeah, I loved how you framed that. Just like everything needs to start with the audience. So we just wanted to say that that left a lasting impression and we've been following you and your webinars ever since. And uh, Steve from Ghost Ranch wanted me to ask you if you remember eating lunch with him presentation summer because it was the best lunch of his life
2: first hard-hitting question <laughs> right out the gate yes
0: and that's that's how i remember uh ghost ranch because that was the first time that that we'd met um so chatting and there was a couple of other members of the team as well but i think we yeah. chatted to and spoke with. yeah definitely it's good that's oh, man.
2: awesome he's gonna be happy to hear that <laughs>
0: steve he remembers.
2: <laughs> yeah. And I remember like st- I've been with Ghost Ranch a couple of years and we've always linked some amazing Bright Carbon resources, which will definitely be in the pod notes at the end of this episode, but linking them in the newsletters and really understanding the space of presentation design. It's been really cool to learn from you. So seeing your face here. So happy to have you.
0: Thank you so much. Indeed. Really appreciate yeah. it.
1: And Richard, why don't, for those of you who don't know Richard, would you like to tell us a bit about who you are and how you got into presentation as a specialty?
0: Sure. My name is Richard Goring. I work for a company called Bright Carbon, and we're generally about helping people to create more effective presentations and e-learning types. Anything where there's a, a visual storytelling component that can be useful. Kind of stumbled into it straight from college, thought, what can I do? Something different. Found out about this world of presentations and have been in it for, gosh, nearly 20 years now.
2: And if you weren't doing presentation design, what was the other possible path you were going down?
0: Oh, a long time ago, it was maybe I should go to medical school. I had a degree in physiology and thought that would be a a good way to go forward. But uh, yeah, this has been very fascinating and really interesting.
2: Well, I'm sure they would have benefited from your brain, but we're really happy that you went down this path. (laughs) Everyone (laughs) listening has definitely benefited from it for sure. I know you've told us a little bit, but your journey towards Bright Carbon and you kind of stumbled into it, but how, Yes, something was going wrong or you wanted to do some things differently. How did that, how did that happen?
0: Yeah. So there's a group of us that started Bright Carbon, eight of us in total. Uh, We were all working for um, a presentation company and thought, you know what, we've got the opportunity to to do it ourselves. And so we we came together, formed Bright Carbon in 2011. And, um, that's largely it going forth, having fun, helping people improve their stuff, sharing cool things, being part of a community is, uh, is all good fun.
2: Did you guys think like at the beginning, like, is this a little weird that we're like just obsessing over PowerPoints and slides and stuff, or were other people, were you excited to be in a group of folks that were also feeling the, the, like the buzz of it?
0: I think when you're in it, you you don't because you're not in isolation. So there's a group of you and you all know that it can work very well. You're with other people that are very enthusiastic. But critically, to your point earlier, Mikey, it's all about the audience. You can talk about stuff you know internally with other people that are really like-minded and it feels really good. The moment you go out and you speak to regular people that have to do presentations all the time, and you show them the impact that these kinds of things can have, the idea of a story that focuses on the audience, using visuals instead of death by PowerPoint and bullet points and stuff, this and you go, oh, wow, this is so much better. And you won't need even one or two of those kinds of interactions pretty quickly for you to realize that this is something that can work really nicely. I mean, it's not curing cancer or anything, but it is helping people to, to do that a little bit better. Mm-hmm is
1: the scene in in the UK was it was PowerPoint and presentation design as you see it like was were they ahead a little bit of and has the trend later caught up in in the US as
0: far as you can tell like i don't think so i mean i think yeah. there's two different aspects to that maybe that might be different one is the idea of presenting and mm-hmm. i think maybe that's a bit more american possibly mm-hmm. not very much there's a lot of people presenting all over the world but maybe the idea of going and doing uh, kind of presentations on a regular basis might be a little bit more prominent in the U S but the design aesthetic can be very different as well. So the mm-hmm. kinds of stuff that you get in the U S again depending on where you are can be quite different in Europe. And so that's been interesting to, to see kind of what you're doing, but you know, the internet means that everyone is exposed to everyone else. And so I don't really see it being massive. It, it's more slight nuance. Small cultural difference.
2: Oh, I've already like some of those sound bites. I was holding sitting on my hands to not interrupt you because these pull quotes are gold, Richard. But this is really cool to hear. Like, yeah, this is this journey and you're kind of navigating the space and and building it as you go. Did you have to do a lot of marketing and it's like a need that's out there? So was it something that was easily filled once you kind of took a shift from the previous you know organization you and your colleagues were at?
0: Yeah, we, we've never really had a problem with that. We've always had an attitude towards let's share cool stuff with people. So um and much like the pod here, for example, just going out and, and sharing cool things. We typically do lots of webinar masterclasses every Thursday. And it's just like, here's some cool stuff that you can do yourself to improve the quality and the effectiveness of your presentations. Great. And then, you know, from a business type perspective, it's if you want any help with that, of course, clearly we can do it. But maybe more usefully, I suspect. People will tell their friends, oh, there's these great things you can do. And then they are maybe the ones that would come to us. But that's largely been it. It's going out, sharing cool stuff and, and people come to us, which is really lovely.
1: Do you all take turns presenting there the, the content? As oh, yes. Yes.
0: Okay. So we do a number of different opportunities where we we can share stuff with people, our own webinars, but then others as well. And it's definitely something where people say, oh, yes, can I have a go at it? So there's definitely a, a rotor. People have to take turns because it's it's really good fun. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And we notice you get so perked up when you talk about actually presenting because a lot of people who work maybe on the back side of presentation crafting are more comfortable like with the behind the scenes and don't mm-hmm. don't actually walk the walk and do it themselves. And so I love the fact that you are one of the best presenters I've ever seen and you're like such a great educator. I think some of your blog posts too, you can sort of like Get over that curse of knowledge to say, hey, what would be most helpful to guide someone toward from A to B? Did you always have a knack for presenting or did you have to have to work those muscles to get to where
0: you're at today? Uh, No, that's been a lot of practice. Um, And also kind of looking at the kinds of things that people do and learning from really good people as well. So there is a community. It is relatively small. Gosh Ranch, clearly part of it. Presentation Thinking, clearly part of it. And Bright Carbon, but all sorts of others as well. The Presentation Guild, um, which we are, we we're all members of. If you're not, you've never heard of it, presentationguild.org is probably a really good place to go to because there you'll find a collection of people that are really enthusiastic about presentations. And critically, they all come from different viewpoints and they all give you different things because my style of presenting and your style of presenting, Mikey, might be really good for what we do, but not exactly right for someone else. And so you find the kinds of people that do stuff that will resonate with you and will work for your situation because it's so different. So so definitely go out and find people, learn from people, finding these these communities, presentation thinking, presentation guild, those kinds of places work really nicely to do that. So you can be inspired and you can say I'm going to do this, that, and the other.
2: With these kind of master classes and training for clients, we ourselves, as you probably know, are trying to learn how to do our own webinars talk about it on the cast. We've even had a whole episode with Mikey talking about how he presented or prepared for a presentation, Mm -hmm. um, at the Mira awards. And I'm curious, is there any prep or, um, what kind of like strategy has worked for you in getting yourself ready for a presentation, but also not like overdoing it.
0: So when it comes to preparing for something largely, I think it boils down to, to two major things. And then a couple of other things to, to consider too. One is who is your audience? Because that could be very different at different times. You can speak on the same topic, potentially even with the same slide materials. But what you say over the top of it can be dramatically different based on the audience. So that is key. Who is your audience? And secondly, what is your objective? Because if you do a really great presentation and then walk away and no one does anything as a result of it, you've kind of failed. I mean, what was the point of that? So think about those two things. What is your objective? Who is your audience? How do you get your audience To go to your objective, to do something, and kind of what's the call to action there. And then you also need to think a little bit about how long do you have? So that's going to determine what level of detail you go into, what structure you will use. You need to think about the environment. Is it going to be in person? Is it going to be online? Is it going to be a large ballroom? Is it going to be a small meeting? Um, you know, conference room, boardroom or something. So thinking about those bits may well change how you can interact with the audience directly, whether it's going to be a a large screen and you're going to use the the slides more so than anything else. So thinking about all of those different factors involved, I think is critical. And then you practice. You, probably to, to the point you suggested earlier, Mike, you maybe don't practice too much because at that point you can start to kind of trip over yourself but you think through what is the logical flow of this? How am I going to resonate with people at all times? How are you going to make sure that you as a presenter know what's coming next so you're not thrown by something that comes up? Or in a great scenario, if someone asks a question, how do you answer that? Do you answer it straight away? Do you refer it to later on because there's something coming up? And how do you get back into your flow because you've been interrupted, you need to know kind of where you were, you can pick it up and you can move on forward kind of smoothly or seamlessly, or even skip whole bits, because now you don't have the time to be able to do some stuff. Or based on where the conversation is going, maybe you need to jump to the end. So a few things there to prepare and think about, but generally audience objective, and then your structure and flow and be really comfortable with those things.
2: Oh, that's so helpful. I like the improv piece. I, especially when it's a presentation that I'm really passionate about and I want to say every piece to move around to different parts of it it would be really tough for me. And I haven't had a lot of practice in that. That's a great, because I know that especially with startups have that happen all the time.
0: Yeah. You're not going to do that in a, in a large conference room though, for example. So if it's more than maybe, I don't know, a dozen people, it's really hard to do that Mm -hmm. because you can't respond very specifically to a large group of people. But if it's half a dozen people that you're speaking to, then maybe it is. It's more of a conversation. So it can be a bit more natural. And there's loads of tools in the software to help you do that, to navigate around a deck. But you need to think about the story and the flow and be able to get to it. Mm-hmm. What, do you get, what do you like the most about presenting? Um, for, for me personally, it's sharing cool stuff. It's, it's being able to change people's behavior and it's having them go, oh yeah, I can do something better. Um, And I think that that can apply generally across many different types of presentations. Usually, you're going to be there in some shape or form to change people's behavior afterwards. So as long as you have achieved that, you know, it's going back to your objective, then that can be really satisfying. But personally, I think it's fabulous. I spend a lot of time talking about presentations in PowerPoint and Lots of people have to do presentations and use PowerPoints. And you can, within 30 seconds or so, or a couple of minutes, go, hey, let's do this. And they go, wow, I never knew you could do that. And that's that's really good fun.
2: I love that. I want to ask a controversial question that Mikey has talked about with previous guests. Do you like the thank you slide at the end of a presentation? No. (laughs) Okay, team Mikey.
0: (laughs) Do you want me to go on to why? Yeah,
2: tell us why. Pointless.
0: What does it do? you've already got people there for 20 minutes 30 minutes an hour and kind of by its very nature they are there probably to see you and thank you doesn't help or move the conversation forward in any way so you give them some kind of of call to action ideally this is what i want you to do you summarize why this is important to them that's another good opportunity there so you've got the ability to say look this is how it's going to change your life in some useful and meaningful way. Or this is what you can now use in your everyday life or everyday job or whatever it is. And in fact, just to tack onto that idea, the idea of closing a presentation is usually either thank you, which just means that it's saying completely flat, great, everyone leaves, or Q&A. And you might say, well, Q&A is a bit better because now it's getting people to interact and engage. Absolutely it is. Anything that you can do to have people sit up and, and ask questions and engage a bit more is fabulous. But you're not in control of that anymore. Your audience is in control of it. So if you put up any questions, the answer could be no, in which case it's the same as thank you and everyone leaves. Or it could be, Yes. There's this really detailed thing that I want to ask, and it's now completely irrelevant to everyone else. And the answer has to be at least a minute or two. And you think, oh, no, I'm, I'm losing everyone now. So better than that is to do your Q&A, I don't know, 75%, 80%, 90% of the way into the presentation, so that it's towards the end. People have seen most of the stuff. You've then got the ability to say, that's a great question. Actually, I'm just about to answer that. Or that's terrific. Can you and I have a chat later on about it? It's now in the middle of the presentation. It's not the kind of a uh, an anti-climax at the end. And once you've handled all of those, then you've got your final 10, 15, 20% of the presentation where you can kind of rise it up to a crescendo again. It's great. Oh, wonderful. And then everyone leaves the room really enthusiastic and wanting to, to do whatever it is you want them to do.
1: Richard, you own the finish. That's incredible. <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah. Molly, it's like the the hidden track at the end of a, a CD. Remember those back in the day? It's like you're saving it. They don't know it's coming, but you're gonna you're gonna leave them floored by the end. It's awesome. Yeah,
2: I love that. It's the deluxe edition, and I love the idea of kind of sandwiching the Q and A a little bit to give yourself your own call to action bookend. Because as I think we've talked about with multiple people and ourselves, every slide is real estate, and so your thank you can kind of dampen what could be a more enthusiastic and energetic call to action to really tie in, bookend your whole presentation together.
1: Richard, probably the best way to learn from presenting is to present and go through the experience, the trials, the errors. Are there any hard lessons that you've learned along the way that you'd like to, to
0: pass along? Uh, there's, there's a wonderful phrase, stop pouring when the glass is full.
2: <laughs>
0: and and that, that's kind of it. Once you've filled them up with sufficient knowledge, you can stop. If you're confident that they're going to achieve what you want them to do, um, or they'll change their behavior, or it's enough, then you can stop.
2: I'm picturing this on like the office inspirational poster with a picture of you presenting. We can get it printed out for all the Ghost Ranch people, Mikey. I don't know. What do you think?
1: Yeah, it's good. I love it. It
2: <laughs> was superimposed with a glass being poured. <laughs> no, I think that's that's really helpful. And it's quite simple, right? People tend to overthink some of that.
0: Yeah. And and everyone's guilty of it. I am. What I'm saying now is a good demonstration of I should have stopped pouring 30 seconds ago, but it's really hard to do. But try it.
2: And how do you know what's valuable or what is resonating with people when you're, I mean, Bright Carbon's been around for a while now. And so you've developed a lot of e-learning tools and resources. So how have you kind of group tested and gotten feedback and changed your content based on what people need?
0: Uh, So there's two slightly different... I ways to answer that if I may. um largely it again <laughs> comes down to the audience. I shall sound like a break, broken record by the end of this, but as we're doing retro uh, music stuff, that'll do. Um, <laughs> so with with the audience, you need to know the audience and understand them in some way, just generically when you are presenting. So try to be. Um, you know, in their position, put yourselves in their shoes and say, what is it that they're interested in? In a corporate environment, for example, they may have particular challenges or particular objectives or or aims that they've they've put forward, but the different roles in that organisation may well have uh, kind of different requirements. The different individuals there are going to be important as well. So you need to think really carefully about the people that will be in front of you, or potentially also as important is your audience's audience, So you're going to be speaking with a group of people. Who are they then going to speak with afterwards? Because the chances are they're going to have to do something that involves other people. So think about that in some way as well. Your direct audience, your audience's audience. And then if you can do, try to think about if you've never met the individuals before, well, who's similar to them that you know? Um, Or have a bit of a a Google around about the kinds of things that are going on in their market, for example, um, whether that's a kind of in an education environment or particular industries or particularly regions around the world, you know, what are the things that impact them within the, within this topic? And then when you're in the room with them as well, in person, it's generally much easier to be able to gauge people's responses. You can kind of see people being a bit more enthusiastic or you can see people checking phones and stuff. Just because they're checking phones doesn't mean they're not listening. Sometimes it'd be taking notes, but, you know, you get the idea. On on a Zoom call, and a team call, it's much more difficult because often you can't see them and you certainly can't engage with them in the same way. So try to build in something where you're checking in with them occasionally. Don't put a lot of effort onto your audience. Think through what it is that they're likely to want. And it could be a really simple poll, for example, but also it could be just a, a brief qualitative question like, you know, what are the kinds of things that you find really challenging? For instance, you know, give them a moment to be able to answer it and then you can maybe get something back, but also have an answer prepared if people aren't going to produce doing something, because you can use that as a launching platform and then see. So that's kind of in the moment. And then you asked about bright carbon generally and kind of what we do. We're doing presentation stuff and e-learning stuff for people. So you kind of get to see the the trends that, that people want, the ways in which these different uh, things are going to work. And of course, there's a wide variety of different tool sets that you'd want out there and different kind of approaches that you want. So you can show people examples, say, well, you know, this kind of thing might work well, or that kind of thing might work well. Do you have an opinion on it? Or ask them, what are their challenges and issues? And you can say, well, this is what I'd recommend. And so that's a a great way to be able to to engage with people. But again, it comes down to, to audiences. And you've learned so much from the audience. And I guess,
1: specific to the ones that you put on as well about presentations, what do you think is that right balance of like presentation theory versus showing the tactics, like tips, tricks, those case studies that they know they can really apply when they're back home. Uh, again,
0: breaking record here, but it's going to depend yeah, on awesome. the audience, the objectives and the actions and all of that kind of stuff. But you, you think like, okay, where are they in their journey for whatever you're you're trying to do? They're trying to learn something. They're trying to do something. They're trying to achieve something. Like, where are they in all of this? Do they know why this is a problem? And and so they they want to know why this is the best way to do it. Or are they completely oblivious to this and you need to educate them about the challenges that they face and the issues they've got and why they should maybe change their behaviour or change their way of doing things in the first place? And so there's nuances there and and can be quite fundamental in terms of of what you're doing, but think about your audience and think about where they are in that journey. And also think a little bit about the environment that you're in as well. About what's going to be appropriate here. You know, can you do a a workshop, for instance, where people are going to actively do something? That's terrific. If you're in person, it's a relatively small group. It's much harder in a larger environment and and online. So maybe there are other ways that you can um, achieve something. And also, to a certain extent, thinking about how um, specific you want to be. Is it a, a particularly a particular audience from a specific you know group or organization or company or something and you know it's quite a niche thing that they want you can be very targeted versus a more general audience you know the, the webinars that you're doing for instance you don't really know who's coming to it so you need to make sure that it's catering for pretty much anyone that could be interested in that topic
2: yeah that's something that's i wanted to kind of ask about as we're trying to get into the webinars too and Certainly 2020 was a huge push and shift for more folks to do virtual presentations. So hearing those kind of tips to check in with the audience and have it dependent on the, the goals and stuff is really useful. Mm-hmm. And yeah, those kind of, did you find that Bright Carbon changed some of its e-learning or was there more of a demand for virtual um, and e-learning tools that people needed during that time?
0: We didn't really change quite so much of, of what we do. So it's all kind of custom content creation and and, and it is what it is, the idea of a visual storytelling kind of content. But yeah, I think with with a lot of folks, um, you know, Mikey, your, your experience at Ghostbusters, I'll chime in with that too, but we suddenly found that there was a a big need now because all of a sudden people realised that, oh gosh, I can't get away with just being a charismatic presenter anymore. <laughs> need slide content and and in a in a Zoom in a Teams world, you're a tiny little video head, if you're there at all, versus the, the slides now being a much more prominent focus.
2: Charisma so is harder was to translate.
0: So, yeah, there was, a, there was a sudden thing, of, oh, we, we really do need to do this. But I don't think it was a big change. I mean, Michael, what do you think? We've probably found that people thought, oh, yeah, I'll do it. And that was just a kickstarter for people to, to say, yes, let's actually do it now. Is that the same for you as well?
1: Yeah, I think they finally wanted to raise the bar though. I think there was a realization that there there were more and more eyes on these things and there was more competition to put on virtual meetings and and webinars. So I think we saw a few that tried, just really wanted to take it further, make sure it was highly engaging and that there wouldn't be a huge drop off because everyone's so crazy distracted now. And I think where you're, one of the themes I, I constantly hear you talk about is the importance of a visual storytelling, visual presentations, you know, showing instead of saying and not just having text up on the slide, can you just tell our listener why that is so important? Because I think it's something that I fail to actually convey the value of, of what that really is and what it,
0: what, what it can do for a, a presentation. Sure. So I'm sure everyone's heard of the phrase death by PowerPoint, and usually that is ascribed to lots of text and bullet points on a slide. Although actually, it can also be a presentation where there's no clear story and no clear objective, and it's just really dull. But, but often, it's, it's text and bullet points. And there's a problem with text and bullet points in a presentation because of the way people process information. If you are listening to someone talking, very clever processing centers in your brain call a phonological loop take over, and they start to, to process that auditory information. Brilliant. So that's how you process kind of stuff that you hear. Stuff that you see is processed in a different part of the brain, something called a visuospatial sketchbook. Brilliant. But bizarrely, if you read words, although you're using your eyes, you're processing it in the language portions of your brain. So it's that phonological loop. Now, books have been around for quite a long time, and I think you'll probably agree, you know, they're a decent source of information. So there's nothing wrong with words. It's, it's words with someone else speaking. If you try to read a book whilst someone is also having a conversation with you, it's virtually impossible. And it's because of these processing centres. Reading and and listening take over the same thing. You get an interference effect going on, which is why it's really hard to read and listen at the same time. So you'd never read a book with someone trying to talk to you. And yet you go to the world of presentations and all of a sudden you've got these bullet points on a slide and you've got someone talking. Now, your inclination is always going to be to look at what's in front of you. And if it's a lot of text, you're going to read it. And that means that it's really hard for people to take on board the information from both the slide and the presenter. It's also really tiring and fatiguing and, and it's not very engaging. So it's quite boring. And so you end up kind of losing out a lot compared with... Well, let's listen to the presenter because clearly they're here to add some value. And let's have visuals here. So it's a different processing center part of the brain, which means you can take on both. And in fact, gloriously, the two things can work together um, and you get a much stronger rate of, of recall of the information that's presented to you. So now from a psychological perspective, excellent. People can take on board a lot more information and remember it. But it's also then much more engaging. It's more down the route of mixed media stuff. You know, There's these small websites, YouTube and Netflix. I think they only take about half of all global internet traffic. And and TV as well, you know, it's really popular because of the way that you can have mixed media. So you can have visual stuff and you can have audio stuff come together. And that's, that's largely it. It's trying to think about that psychology of it. Not to mention the fact that if you're doing anything complex and technical, a picture paints a thousand words, as the phrase goes, will generally be much easier for people to understand. Otherwise, they're reading the words and they're trying to picture it in their mind's eye. Why not cut out the middleman and just do it for them?
2: Boom, cut, delivered.
0: Yeah, That's <laughs> no, so good. The thing is though, like, so you go do visual um, presentations sure. as well. How often do you need to convince people that they should be using visual stuff rather than text-based stuff in presentations? Documents are different. I think
1: everyone has heard it and they know, they come to us with their tail between their legs. They're like, I know this has a lot of text on the slide. So I think everyone is aware, many most of our clients are very much aware of it, self-conscious about it, but they're just like, yeah, I'm not a designer. I'm
0: not an illustrator. You and know? that's it. That's it. It's not to say that it's easy. It can right. be hard to do, but but that's the thing. It's like, I don't think you need to convince people to to do it. It's giving people the tools and the skills to be able to do it, which goes back to the education stuff I talked about before, which is why I really love doing it because you can show people these are some of the techniques you can use, yeah.
2: I love that comparison that really helps me as well as a very distractible person because you would never, I cannot read and listen to music with lyrics. I can hardly even work and listen to music with lyrics. And so to hear that translated as like, why would we expect to go into a PowerPoint presentation and just read the bullet points while someone's talking at us? That obviously doesn't click. And that leads to the death by PowerPoint situation. Richard, would you consider yourself a storyteller? Translating these things
0: i I'm not entirely sure I would do to be honest I, I i would probably be more helping others to be so more of an educator and there's a little bit of the in there, but i I think it's 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 maybe one step removed bizarrely
2: your storytelling doula
0: <laughs> yes yes I suppose that's a good way of thinking yeah, it yeah yeah
2: i yeah I hear you go, like provide these tools for folks to obviously transform their own stories, but I don't know. I would argue that there's a story there in of itself. Like the, you know, you have built this career and created so many amazing resources for people. And there's a story there about, you know, your journey with this type of content and creating it and then passing it off to people as well. I don't know. It's a bit of a Gandalf figure. I don't know if you're a Lord of the Rings or Harry Potter or which hero you want to be, but... Um, I'm seeing you in the story for sure.
0: <laughs> Excellent.
2: Would you can, cause Ghost Ran- Mikey, I mean, do you consider yourself a storyteller? We, I know we call Ghost Ranch the art for storytelling.
1: I don't think, so. I I feel like I want to be, and I, I don't think I'm a very good one, but I, th- I want to become one. I feel like I'm more of a, a student of the game right now and trying to, yeah, uh, trying to get a master's in storytelling.
0: I don't believe anyone could say that they aren't. One of the things that I love about the the podcast is the way that you go into it and say, look, let's explore stuff. If anyone has not listened to any of the previous episodes, I highly recommend you going through the back catalogue and doing it, especially some of the book reviews, for example, where you go through and you're exploring stuff. And you should always do that because there's always new ideas coming through. Um, and, And maybe that's why both mikey and i are a touch reticent about it because you think well but there's more to learn sure yeah i, I love that thank you Richard. and so, okay so
1: you're a presentation thinker would love to hear what it means to you i guess if, if it does why maybe you started listening if it if it, that term kind of resonated with you for any reason
0: yeah definitely i think <laughs> I think about presentations therefore I enjoy presentations <laughs> yes um, what it means to me is is as i said at the top you know it's audience and objective because those are two fundamental bits how you're taking your audience on this journey to your objective i suppose another really useful thing to consider when you are thinking about presentations is to ask yourself the question so what so for everything you want to say So what? How does this relate to your audience and how does it relate to your objective? Um, And keep doing it. Keep asking that really simple so what question because that's a great way for you to be able to focus your stuff on, on what's important. And that in turn leads to the whole story in terms of the, the structure and the way things flow and how you can link stuff together. It can also link to the kind of visuals that you might use, whether you're painting those visuals verbally with just a, a narrative, or you're going to be using some kind of a or visual aids to create something that's useful. But critically, it's all then about supporting the story, and it's not just stuff that looks nice. But you're thinking through again how does this relate to the audience and to your objective
2: that's brilliant yeah and you even did that just 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 to fully expose when we first had our introductory conversation with richard he's like well who's this podcast going to be for yeah and mikey and i were like yeah you know we've thought about that and we're still figuring that out and we're asking ourselves constantly but such a good way to just yeah drive in exactly what the purpose of each thing is is there Mm -hmm. for um Love hearing love hearing that. I want to start asking all the what presentation thinking means to you, Mikey, for everybody.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> oh, but does that mean it goes later on in the in the spice cabinet? But it can't. Produce. It can't. something yeah. Goes up front. Yeah.
2: That's the chunky stuff. That's good. That's that's yeah. the meat. <laughs> kind of zooming out, Richard. How we like? Yeah, you've been in this this field for a while, and I'm you've already seen it evolve and change and different tools that people can use. And we're wondering how you see digital storytelling presenting evolve in the next 5 10 years
0: so in the next 5 years i mean i just i don't know N- not much more than what people are doing now i think there are various tools out there that are already pretty prevalent there will be more coming along as well that that try to help in some way every other month it seems as there's a, there's a new tool that will topple powerpoint all of them largely trying to push better graphics, better layouts, things that look nicer because we've had 20, 30 years of, of really bad looking slides. And so I understand people going for that. And the nice thing about that is that it's relatively, relatively easy to come up with nice layouts. The AI systems that we have at the moment will allow you to think about where you can take content and rearrange it in a way that, that looks nicer to a grid using um, white space and all of that jazz. So that, that's kind of great. But I don't think any of these tools yet will analyze what you have written in a script or put in your notes or put on bullet point slides and say, hmm, none of this seems to be useful. It's not a cohesive story. I don't think any of that's there. So I think in the relatively short term, it's going to be more about stuff looking good. But 10 years, I mean, who knows? Maybe the AI will be better where it can say, well, these are the kinds of things where the story might work. It'll be a reinvention of, of Clippy from Microsoft Word. It looks like you're trying to write a letter or a <laughs> compelling presentation. Maybe that guy. will be available. The metaverse might actually take off. Maybe you don't need headsets and stuff, or those headsets could be widely available. And I think that's going to change how you can engage with people. You know, We've all had two years of, of Zoom fatigue and the like largely because only one person can speak at a time and that's so tiring if you're in back-to-back meetings all the time and you can't say anything or you're the only one saying and you know five ten a hundred people are all then looking at you it's really off-putting and what's really lovely about being in person is that you can sit next to people and then just talk to the person next to you and just build on maybe what someone else is saying is that they're presenting and i love the idea of vr because then you get spatial audio and you can do that whilst still being, you know, a thousand miles away from them. So maybe that will fundamentally change how things go, but but I think that's a longer-term horizon.
2: Yeah, one of those, I like hearing that, I suppose every sci-fi movie has this thread a little bit where you can't computerise human thought to a... I mean, it's happening a little bit, but that storytelling aspect where you're really trying to convey the story on each slide and and fit it into your overall narrative. You can't just, like... You can't just make that a robot to do that for you. But I do like hearing, we haven't heard about, we haven't talked about virtual reality presenting on the cast yet, Mikey. That could be a very yeah. interesting frontier.
1: Have you seen any of it yet, Richard? Like it, it like augmented, like practicing in a boardroom. I, I feel like I saw something like that at the presentation summit one year, but I've never seen it in, in practice.
0: Yeah, so Bright um, Carbon, near the start of the pandemic, we thought, Flip, how do we, because we're a distributed company, and um, we're all over the place. And so we usually, in the before time, we would get together um, every three, four, six months or so and just kind of be all together. And we're getting back to that now, which is great. But we got um, VR headsets for everyone in the company to, to try it, partly because we thought, well, maybe this is, this is where people are going, but also just... As a way to have people come together, and it's not just you know a Zoom meeting of hundred people, or which is really off-putting. Um, it is a great experience. I don't think it's brilliant for presenting just yet, but you likely at the presentation summit saw um, uh, Yulia Barnakova, who is is fabulous at promoting this. Um, you should absolutely get her on the on the podcast. Um, and if if anyone is interested in this, if you do a search for Yulia Barnakova. Um, or P Spice, She'll go by on YouTube as well. She's got lots of great material out there about exactly this. And that comes back to that point before about how do you find out about all this stuff? You find really great sources of, of general information, like presentation thinking, like the Presentation Guild. Yulia is part of the Presentation Guild as well, I should say, and you'll see her on there too, because you can learn all these really interesting things from people. That's amazing.
1: Now we're into the spice cabinet, Richard. Hooray! Perfect oh,
2: segue. It's like it. you've listened to it before.
1: <laughs> okay. I want to dig into that because you also mentioned, let's stay on these, um, the presentation thinking resource library. How about uh, yeah. any like top, top favorite books that you think anyone going down this path should have on their bookshelf?
0: Or that we should dig into, Molly and myself? Well, you've you've read one of them, which is Made to Stick, which I think is fabulous uh, because it's a great thing on persuasive storytelling. The Challenger Sale is also generally very good. It's a bit more sales-focused, but if you're not in sales, I would still encourage you to read it because I still think it's got some excellent ideas there on on persuasion and kind of working with people. Um, The Accidental Instructional Designer is fabulous um, by Cami Bean because it's the, the kind of of scenarios that you're going to be in. And again, if you're not an instructional designer, that's fine, because it's about educating people and informing people and teaching people. And, and that's a component of pretty much any story in any presentation. Or design for how people learn is another good one as well. And um, so worth checking those things out. If you're into the, the technical nature of things, it would be remiss of me if I didn't mention uh, Equus Winford and Julie Turberg, who have created the Bible of PowerPoint templates. So what is it? Uh, Designing PowerPoint templates. There's a version two out on Amazon. Um, so check that out. Um, and another wonderful chap, Mike Parkinson, has a brilliant book just specifically on PowerPoint stuff called PowerPoint for Trainers. And, and that maybe covers some reasonably good stuff on thinking and, and storytelling and then presentation tools and, and PowerPoint and stuff. And of course, check out the Bright Carbon blog for all sorts of amazing tools and resources and how-to guides and stuff like that as well. That's where we put all of our content.
2: Oh, there we go. You saved it for last. Humble.
0: This <laughs> was a book, so that's not answering the question, but it would be remiss of me if I didn't yeah. put a shameless plug in.
2: Yeah. I'm going to cross-check with you those there because you've rattled off such a good list of library um, resources, but I'll make sure we we link those in the cast notes for sure. Any favorite, you know, I mean, I know you stumbled onto just presentation thinking by truly master of your craft, just getting into different resources and listening to what people are putting out there, but any other podcast you love to listen to presenting or not?
0: Yeah. Is it, I mean, is it, (laughs) is it not the dumb thing to mention your direct competitors in this space, which are of course the presentation podcast with Troy, um, Nolan and Sandy. No, uh, who run that and yeah. you yeah. kind of there. We love um them. also, yeah, well who doesn't exactly that's that's the thing. And and that's just brilliant if you want to get into to Detail about presentations and kind of really niche things and really geek out and it's it's fabulous to listen to if you're in this space. Much like presentation thinking, I think there's a great um, podcast called The World of Presentations, which does a little bit more what you do, which is which is a broader remit of all sorts of different ways in which people tell stories and present um, from all sorts of different walks of life. And I think that that is is well worth looking at. And then there's uh, Presentation Junkies, the Presentation Boss podcast um the presentation thinking of course but you're already listening to it subscribe now um, <laughs> and then other things um like storytelling with data um by mm. cole Mistler bummer yeah. of Netflix. she's fabulous uh, you've got all this terribly detailed data and she'll sit there and go "Right, what's the point of it what's the story you're trying to tell it's great at looking at kind of data viz stuff likewise data stories is, is the same kind of idea so things like that, I think are useful where you're looking at people doing storytelling. And then I really enjoy a podcast called Two Bobs, which is probably not, and I can't say it in an American accent, um, but uh, <laughs> <trying>. <laughs> uh, that's that's more about kind of marketing agencies and stuff. But again, there's a big chunk of storytelling in that as well. So I listen selectively and it's good. Yeah, Two bobs. Blair Enns and uh, David C. Baker. Yeah, yeah. That's Anyone
1: right. in the agency business, definitely they're, they're worth yeah, listening yeah. to. Yeah, yeah.
2: Do you They're ever bigger. listen to any non-presenting podcast, Richard? Seems like you fill every every hour with extra credit.
0: My favourite podcast is a, a BBC Radio 4 podcast from the UK called More or Less. And it's about statistics. And to be honest, actually, a big chunk of that is also what is the story behind these statistics? So they look at numbers in the news and in life and they will they will say, well, what does this mean? Um, You know, the the first rule of more or less, if you have a number is, is it a big number? If you have, you know, I don't know, there are 2 billion people in the world that can access the internet. For example, I don't know, I've made that up. Is that a big number? It sounds it. 2 billion sounds great. But if you put that in context of whether, well, there are 8 billion people in the world. Oh, no, only about a quarter of people have access to reliable internet connection. That sounds terrible. Whereas if you compare it to say, you know, the US, well, there are eight times more people um, than the US population having access to the internet that sounds like a really big number. So the way that you approach it, and the story you're trying to tell can can be interesting. So yeah,
2: that sounds fascinating. I'll Definitely tune into that for sure.
0: It's got a dry I sense of and I like it.
2: They do so many yeah. good examples in Made to Stick about those kind of statistics yeah. uh, mm-hmm. being skewed and that kind of thing. Okay, what's a, moving on uh, in the spice cabinet here, digging through, what is a favorite project or pitch or presentation that you've worked on and um, you've just really enjoyed?
0: So at the start, my, my degree was in uh, physiological sciences. So kind of uh, technical, scientific, life science type stuff, which I really love. We work with a lot of companies like that. And in one instance many instances but one that that springs to mind there's a lot of very technical information that they had to present in a in a training course to to their team and some of their clients 40 50 odd slides of really dry information and we were able to take that and make it just much more elegant in terms of its explanation of that technical content weave it into a story use visual analogies not so much that it's kind of really odd things that was totally removed. It was using the the pieces of equipment, the um the radiotherapy devices that we're using, putting it in real settings, thinking about real life scenarios that you would be in, that you could relate to, and then thinking about real-world objects. So comparing error margins to the size of a of a Euro coin, for example, things like that. Something that you can you can actually relate to. And that's really lovely to do. It was, it looked beautiful, um, obviously, but it was also nice to come up with this elegant way to present very technical, very detailed information that previously had just been lots of bullet points and lots of charts. Use of animation as well is a great way to be able to help people to understand what happens in real life so they can relate to it rather than what does this mean again? And I'm trying to think through it. So that's what I enjoy.
2: Yeah. Bringing the stuff to life.
1: It sounds like you baked in the the so what back into that as well. Like, why does this matter? How yeah. if you when you put it into the context of a yeah. of the audience's life? Okay, how about any
0: any funny presentation stories that you'd like to share? I don't think I've got any particularly, um, but I'd like to embarrass my colleague Joby, uh, who you've spoken yeah. to um, uh, relatively yep. recently, Mikey. Uh, Joby was presenting a couple of years ago now. And this was in the before times again. So it was a proper Mm. conference environment um, and it was all dark as it always is. And he uh, was presenting and loves to... to engage with the slide and kind of direct the audience's attention to what's going on there, which is a great technique. And then fell off the back of the stage because it was all black and he couldn't see. He Not was enough. fine. It was only about ah. three foot or something, um, so it was all okay. But that was something that uh, that has made me realise, always look at the room with the lights on before you go in oh my so gosh, you can see Joey. where the boundaries are of yeah. the raised platform.
2: We haven't talked about the dangers of presenting. Right, you know, this exactly. Is a, this is a treacherous job. <laughs> That's really funny. Sorry, Joby. <laughs> we'll bring you on to make up for it. Okay, and then Richard, you know this is coming, friend of the cast. We have got to know what your walk-up music is. Richard Goring of Bright Carbon.
0: Oh, what it's you, so embarrassing, Molly, because all of your guests so far have had these really kind of really cool things, and, and Editor Will, hello, uh, does little montages of the the audio, which is fabulous, and I'm going to choose Sunshine, Lollipops, and Rainbows by Leslie Gore.
1: Sunshine. <laughs> Partly
0: because it's really fun and poppy, partly because we'll have fun finding it, but also it's a bit irreverent and bouncy and playful, which is the Bright Carbon brand, um, but also hopefully would be upbeat for people uh, as they are expecting something to happen.
2: Yeah. No, that's a great, that's a great choice. I'm a big, I'm a big pop guy for sure. So, I mean, I like a lot of different genres, but something that gets people excited, that's, that's fun. <laughs> Sunshine Polly I haven't listened to that in a while.
1: And Richard, I remember your, I distinctly remember your dinner jacket that you wore presenting. It was, I remember it, that would match like, it was awesome. You just had this like charismatic vibe, standout-ish, well-dressed, sharp looking jacket. It was awesome. You, you left a huge impression on us all. Thank you so much. Cool. And it would have been even better with that song playing as you walked up and then dropped the mic and walked away. <laughs> yeah.
2: Have awesome. you ever used? Have you ever done a shtick, like with a prop or something like that, <laughs> a weird costume uh, piece? You know
0: what? Yes. Um, so when we, again, in the before times, did kind of presentation skills training and teaching people, conferences anyway, it's not necessarily training, but talking about the idea of of how you stand up and deliver a presentation in smaller environments, it's often really useful to be able to come up and and kind of point out stuff. So there's a wonderful chap, Hans Rosling. And if you've never um, heard of him, he's well worth looking up. Hans Rosling, fortunately passed away now, but a brilliant um, professor of healthcare statistics. And you think, oh gosh, how is that related to to presentations. And he thinks very much about the audience. He thinks about the objectives, but he also looks at this dry set of of stats and data from the World Health Organization. thinks, well, how can I bring this life? What does it mean? And so he's got great visuals there that mean something, but also his delivery style is fabulous. And he'll go up and he'll point out all these complicated bits and get really animated and actually kind of go on and even touch the screen sometimes and just direct your audience's attention both verbally and physically. Anyway, I used to try to demonstrate this in a larger room. I'd get um, the foam hands from the local sports <laughs> team and put that up there so they could see the hand really clearly. It was overemphasizing it, obviously for effect. You <laughs> wouldn't normally do it and go and, and point it. And then the screens got bigger. And so I would put the foam hand on a large pole and, and go and do it. But he used fishing, light or fishing rods to do that and would put a tennis ball on the end. So I stole that yeah. from him.
2: That's funny. I like that. It's simple. That's cheap prop.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But it does mean that you have to get the local sports team because as I've learned in the US, if you (laughs) turn up with the Boston Red Sox, which is where I live now, most people are going to hate you.
2: (laughs) Yeah. 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 No, that's for sure. My dad was a, I grew up a diehard Yankees fan. So I, I can relate, I guess. But I mean, in, in England, there's the, you know, football is the, oh, you got the Arsenal versus, you know, what, every, uh, what's the other ones? <laughs> United, I mean, Manchester there's the, United.
0: The Manchester, <laughs> the Manchester teams, there's Liverpool, which also just likes Manchester, and there's the two, three London teams as well. But I don't know anything about football, you'll have to yeah. ask many They're other the people. Yeah, yeah. But they don't have the fo- the foam hands. That appears to be quite an yeah. American thing or a baseball a great thing. Story.
1: Great visual. Molly, we, I think our rabbit hole just got a lot deeper. We have like we are loaded up in the resource department. We have a lot of homework to go do yeah, and dang. check out thank you so all much, of these Richard. great tips,
0: Richard. Thank you so much. Well, thank you very much indeed. And, and to that point of there's loads of stuff here, if you're listening and you think, oh, that's interesting to come back to the objective and a call to action just to kind of be on brand mm-hmm. with that. Uh, In the words of Echo Swinford, um, who wrote one of the books that I mentioned, start imperfectly. Just look at some of this stuff. Read a blog post. Listen to another couple of episodes of of presentation thinking or one of the other podcasts or choose one of those books. and think, right, how can I apply this to at least some of what I do? Don't try to be perfect now. Just let it progress. And have fun along the way.
1: Oh my gosh, Molly. That was fun talking to Sir Richard Goring. I think, I don't know if he's been knighted yet for his contributions to oh, yeah. the game of, you know, presentations, but I'm just calling it, you know, I think the queen or future Kings, whoever, they're going to do it. It's going to happen.
2: Yeah, I know. Sir Richard, the thank you. helps, I suppose. Oh yeah.
1: What a, what a conversation. What'd you think?
2: I was so inspired. I loved hearing his very hilarious humbleness about, you know, everything he has been a part of. He's like, well, yeah, I just, you know, I just helped someone do this. And I just, I, it was just the normal thing to do when I think in reality, this was, he really has helped develop the landscape for presentation thinking and some of these e-learning resources and webinars Mm -hmm. and hearing the way in which he so clearly has taught people come back to the audience. What's in it for the audience, come back to your objective these really core pillars of creating presentations are ingrained in him, and it's mm-hmm. and it's very obvious, and it's something to aspire to, right?
1: In agree, our storyteller
2: yeah. study club here,
1: we've looked up to this um, gentleman for a while, and the, in the firm, you know, Bright Carbon, everybody over there that they're just uh, seem to be fighting the good fight, you know, and um, yeah, so definitely excited just the fact that we got to to hang out with Richard Goring and, and learn and now we have a lot more learning to do, Molly. But what, what did he say? The echo, uh, just do the next right thing. Just start imperfectly. Start imperfectly. So let's keep going. I think we're imperfect. Yeah, we're getting a little better though as we go, right?
2: <laughs> I think that's what we're doing. Exactly. Making a podcast, figuring it out and seeing what happens along the way. Yeah. That was a true example of meeting your heroes being a positive
1: experience. I know. Thank you, Richard. Sweet. Yeah. Thank you so much. And thanks for everybody tuning in. Keep on pitching. We'll talk to you next time. Bye.